0: frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown american drink go to grown american superfood.com forward slash john and order today what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way (laughs) maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day So, what makes
1: a life a good one?
0: In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit gocoastguard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127. Welcome to the little show that could. This is Tell Me Everything. We are so glad to have you with us. We are so grateful to Dito Badala and his team for being an incredible lead in. Hope you guys had a great weekend. We're still making sense of everything. It's going to be quite a long week, maybe quite a long week and a half until we know what's going on. All I can tell you for sure is when we're old and dying and our lives are flashing before our eyes, it's going to be such a drag to see all those times we were forced to care about the debt ceiling. I don't like it any more than you do, but we got to make fun of it. We're here to talk about it. We're here to get your thoughts on it. We're here to find out what's making you angry, what's making you inspired. Is there any smart strategy going on here that is just being missed by the populace at large. Is Joe Biden managing this brilliantly or is he just doing what so many Democrats have done before and giving so many concessions when he didn't have to give any we want to know what you guys think. 866-997-4748. Great show tonight. Congresswoman Judy Chu joins us. Judy Chu is the first uh, Chinese-American woman ever elected to the Congress, and she's a terrific progressive Democrat. We are going to talk all about what's going on with the dead ceiling and everything else that's going on inside the Congress. She is, of course, one of the few members of Congress to also have a psychology degree. So I want to ask her quite a bit about her Republican co-workers and if she understands anything about the performative cruelty that has come to define a once great political party. Also, comedian Rhonda Hansom is here to slay some fools. The great Liz Winstead is here to talk all about abortion rights and who's being evil where. The top five 15 countries in the world. Are you ready? Number one, Finland. Number two, Denmark. Number three, Iceland. Let's stop right there. I know. They're very white. They're also very happy and very secure because they have a social safety net. They have health care. They have education. They don't have to worry about a GoFundMe to pay for student loans or a funeral or a surgery. Number four, Israel. Number five, Netherlands. Still all socialized health care. Number six, Sweden. Number seven, Norway. Number eight, Switzerland. Number nine, Luxembourg. The 10th happiest country, New Zealand. 11, Australia. I'm sorry, Austria, 12, Australia, 13 is Canada, 14 is Ireland, and 15 is the U.S. How happy are you feeling? We got a great show tonight. Chris Houseelt's our executive producer. Thea Harper is our associate producer. We have a lot to get to. Let's do this thing. 866-997-4748 is going to be our number for the next few hours. 866-997-GRIT. Let's do a show. So what was the last time you remember Democrats threatening to crash the American economy by manufacturing uh, a a default over the debt. Mm, They don't, they don't do that. They've, they've gotten some concessions at times. They got some concessions from Trump, but Democrats govern. They don't go around threatening to crash the entire world economy. They don't always govern very well, but they don't stumble from pointless stunt to pointless stunt. Now, let's get some facts here on this, because this is the only story we're going to be hearing from the media. What is it? Eight days left in this? About eight days. Until this thing is finally at the last minute resolved. The U.S. national debt is $30.9 trillion. Donald Trump's share of that, it's 250 years to get to 30.9. Donald Trump's share is $7.8 trillion. Keep that in mind. More than 25% of the entire national debt in the 246-year history of the United States More than 25% was run up by Donald Trump with his Republican Congress agreeing to it. And now they want you to pay for it by cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, cutting food stamps. Now, remember, as you hear all of this talk in the media, especially the mainstream corporate media about why can't Democrats give more? It's not necessary for Congress to cut future spending when it raises the debt ceiling to pay for past spending. Okay, so again, they're paying off the old debts. They're paying off things that have already been bought. It's not necessary for Congress to have any kind of negotiations about future spending. It's just to raise the debt ceiling to pay for the spending that's already happened. Anything else is a Republican demand. In 2017, Senator Orrin Hatch said anybody who tries to negotiate the debt ceiling for cuts shouldn't be in Congress. But Democrats are always here to bail out the Republicans who cannot actually govern. Hey, you know what? (laughs) Don't listen to Orrin Hatch. Here is House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, six years ago in 2017, explaining when you raise the debt ceiling, it's actually paying. Well, I'll I'll let Kevin from the past explain it to you. you. When you raise the debt ceiling, that's actually paying for stuff that has already been spent. That's it. Really simple. Republicans spent, they they raised the debt ceiling three times under Donald Trump with with no hangups. So why are we here? Well, we're here because Republicans can't govern and they have nothing to offer non-millionaires. But let's go back 12 years. Remember 2011? It was an awful time. R.E.M. broke up. LCD sound system broke up. White Stripes broke up. And... Backstreet Boys went on tour with New Kids on the Block. It was a rough year, 2011. Fukushima, you know. Yeah. Back then, the House Republicans under President Obama wouldn't raise the debt ceiling unless they got major spending cuts. And Barack Obama tried to say what you just heard Kevin McCarthy say. We're just paying for stuff that's already been spent. But eventually, Obama blinked. He agreed to cut more than $2 trillion in spending from the next decade. So America dodged a default. One international credit rating agency, Moody's, did downgrade our trustworthiness, which makes borrowing more expensive for Republicans. That's all because of Republicans. Today, the Republicans passed a bill to cut nearly five trillion over a decade, not the two trillion Obama agreed to. Now, Biden originally said, no, that's not even going to happen. We're just negotiating. We're we're, we're not going to negotiate anything. We're going to raise our debts and talk about next year's budget. But now. He's been forced to negotiate and we can beat up on Democrats all day of this if you want. But Democrats aren't the bad guy. (laughs) You don't blame the kid who's getting shaken down for his lunch money, at least not all the time, at least unless the kid just gives the guy his lunch money. See, Joe Biden was over there in Japan. Got Hiroshima, and he was chiding the House Republicans for their debt ceiling proposal. He called on them to move from their extreme positions. He said in Hiroshima, much of what they've already proposed is simply, quite frankly, unacceptable. Now, we keep waiting for the president to invoke the 14th Amendment. A whole bunch of senators wrote him a letter. Bernie spoke eloquently. Raise the debt ceiling without an act of Congress, because the president has the authority to do that. It's legal. The Constitution requires it. At least it requires the debts. To be paid. Now here's Joe Biden. Uh, he was saying that the Republican Party already knows defaulting is not an option.
2: And it's time for Republicans to accept that there is no bipartisan deal to be made solely, solely on their partisan terms. They have to move as well. All four congressional leaders agree with me
0: that def- that default is not. Let me say it again. Default is not an option. So how much more can Democrats cave, right? I mean, they caved on the clean debt ceiling increase. They've already agreed on you know billions of cuts for the next year. They're they're now saying Joe Biden is saying something's a non-starter for Democrats that they're willing to consider work requirements for poor people on safety net programs. <laughs> but the Republicans, what are they bringing to the table? Why is the media acting like this is this, uh, an even-handed deal? Because prescription drug reform, let's do that. We can save billions. No. Well, let's get rid of Donald Trump's tax cuts for the rich. That'll save trillion. No, they want to kill the Inflation Reduction Act. They want to cut spending, but they want to increase spending at the Pentagon. They want to increase spending on the border. They won't enforce tax laws to make sure the rich pay their taxes. They're trying to kill student loans. They're trying to take snap benefits away from poor people. So what about that 14th Amendment? Well, here on CNN is uh, Democratic Congressman Steve Cohen from Tennessee discussing the tempting big red 14th Amendment button. Joe Biden just needs to push one time on the debt limit.
3: The Constitution says you have to honor the debt. So I think it's an ace in the hole for the president. I think he'd like to negotiate and he'd like to be able to show he can work together with the Republicans. It's going to be difficult. McCarthy's got to work with uh, George Santos and who knows who he is or what he thinks. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, they're about as closely tied to reality as Santos is. So he's got a whole bunch of those people to deal with, and they can result in the end of his speakership. So it's going to be difficult for President Biden to negotiate with somebody who has those type of uh, uh, legislative terrorists on their team, uh, and the 14th
4: Amendment is an ace in the hole.
0: Except it's not just for Joe Biden. That's what we're all up against. We talked about it last week, this rumor that Uh, a cabal of moderate Democrats is floating a deal to Kevin McCarthy if he just goes ahead and does the right thing and raises the debt limit and the Republicans try to remove him because Kevin stupidly agreed to let one member of his caucus be able to have that power that the Democrats would come over and protect his speakership which is also grotesque until you realize Kevin McCarthy is probably much better than House Speaker Steve Scalise But, but White House aides today have privately told progressives agitating for the 14th Amendment, it's not going to happen. Joe Biden's full on negotiating with bad faith House Republicans for whatever they want in exchange for voting to raise the debt limit by June 1st so the country can keep on paying its bills. Joe Biden, as you know, came home early from the G7 and he met with McCarthy early this evening. Now, what is this all about? (laughs) Democratic senators are warning they will not accept any concessions attached to the debt limit that'll cut federal assistance for low-income people, unless it raises taxes on wealthy individuals and corporations. But what does bipartisanship mean in this century? Bipartisanship generally means Democrats giving concessions and Republicans bragging about the concessions they got. What's Joe Biden going to do? Is he going to hold the line? Or will he be yet another Democrat who moves to the right? Because this is all about paying Donald Trump's bar tab. That's all it is. We're paying Trump's bar tab, just like Barack Obama had to pay Bush's bar tab. And Bush was the biggest dine and dash we ever had. Two wars off the books while cutting taxes for millionaires. (laughs) One mailman brings you the credit card. The other mailman brings you the credit card bill. One mailman brings you the card you can use with no spending limit. The next mailman shows up and has to settle the debts. And in my lifetime, brothers and sisters, maybe in yours. The blank credit card mailman has always been delivering to a Republican, and the credit card bill has always been serviced by Democrats. This debt crisis is a blackmail scheme by the Republicans, and you know it is because they only use it when a Democrat is in the White House. Again, the number to remember, 1873. They raised the debt ceiling 18 times for Reagan, seven times for George W. Bush, three times for Donald Trump, three times for Trump with his two trillion tax cuts for rich people, and that four trillion in the corporate welfare. And now, now, they want to blame the Dems. The Republican Party always increases spending when they get the White House. This is the racket. You know this is what they do. Their entire model. We've had 40 years of watching. They run up the debt to give tax handouts to the super rich. Then they complain about the debt they created whenever a Democrat's president. And then they blame the debt on poor people getting food stamps or veterans health care or meals on wheels or school budgets. And they'll hold the economy hostage to force cuts to the poorest people who can't afford the cuts. And they say the same thing. If we don't slash social safety net for poor people and for veterans and make permanent, massive tax cuts for the rich, which raises the debt, we will crash the world economy. Why don't Democrats meet us halfway? Why should Democrats negotiate on something that they voted for 3 times under Trump? The bill is due on all the Trump tax cuts that added to the deficit. So just raise the debt ceiling. Negotiating on the budget is separate. Biden's right about that. But Republicans will always ask for way more than they think they can get. Republicans are such good negotiators. And Democrats, you know, they'll 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 run out of all their negotiating space right away. Republicans don't care about spending, guys. And I think Joe Biden knows this. Joe Biden was there under Barack Obama. He knows they just want to hurt the Democratic incumbent. Donald Trump was making this interesting on a CNN town hall because, again, he thinks it's a great idea to just run headfirst into a catastrophic default on federal debt. He said it. I say to Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to have to do a default. I mean, he, he pretty much admitted right there. That it's all political. Oh, and by the way, here's Donald Trump telling the truth about the debt ceiling also in 2017. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Well, when he was president, Trump was saying you, you can't. He said raising the debt is a sacred thing. And then he said they shouldn't use the threat of a default as a negotiating tool, and now he says he's changing his tune because I'm not president. Byron Donald said that was hilarious on Meet the Press. They're complete hypocrites they admit it and laugh this is who joe biden's trying to go high with I can't imagine any, any here it is let's, let's, let's give a listen So donald trump I've six ever years been ago.
2: thinking of using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh when i first came into office i asked about the debt ceiling and i understand debt ceilings and i certainly understand a, uh, the the highest rated credit ever in history and a debt ceiling and i said i remember to senator schumer and to nancy pelosi Would anybody ever use that to negotiate with? They said, absolutely not. That's a sacred
4: element of our country.
0: You know how much Donald Trump values things that are sacred, right? Like marriage vows, what have you. So on Friday, he was on his filth social website saying Republicans should not make a deal in the debt ceiling unless they get everything they want. And this is awkward for the Republicans because they're trying to force Democrats to accept these spending cuts in exchange for just not defaulting on the debt. But the Republicans have said over and over, there won't be a default. Mitch McConnell said it in March. Everybody knows from the beginning you're not going to default. It's simply unacceptable. It's not going to happen. So we know they're not going to default. It's all theater. It's all playing chicken. But Donald Trump flirting with crashing the world economy, that matters. Because it's going to hurt the Republican Party. And they deserve it. He's going to make it harder for them. And then when the Republican Party comes around and negotiates something... Donald Trump has already set himself up to lead the attack against his own party. Look, McCarthy's willing to throw the economy into oblivion to please Trump. What's going to happen when McCarthy takes a deal that Trump doesn't like? The entire strategy is predicated, says Senator Chris Murphy, on their willingness to default being real and believable. Nobody would negotiate with them over their crazy set of demands to kick thousands of kids off nutritional benefits And Head Start, if you didn't think they were. But Biden's negotiating anyway. He said he wouldn't, and now he is. That's the win for Republicans. That's the win. Again, Kevin McCarthy said he won't accept a deal without increased work requirements for social safety net programs. And Joe Biden said, well, maybe I'll consider that. Congressional Black Caucus came out and said, no, you will not consider that. No changes to Medicaid or SNAP or TANF. (laughs) And again, McCarthy is just saying Washington has to spend less while demanding they spend more on the Pentagon, spend more at the border, and spend more by not having the Republican tax cuts erased so our deficit just gets deeper and deeper. Now, they're going to blame Democrats no matter what. Again, there's lots of ways you could look at it. Maybe the Democrats should have abolished the debt ceiling when they had full control of the government. I'm hearing this all over the place, all over the corporate media. Democrats had it, they had full control. Well, no, they didn't. They had the White House House and Senate, but they had the Senate with mansion and cinema. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't pr- protect the Voting Rights Act. The Congressional Progressive Caucus called for Democrats to act on the debt ceiling last fall in the lame duck session because they said this was going to happen. They didn't do it. And now we have to deal with the fact that Republicans just want to extend the tax cuts for the wealthiest. The CBO, by the way, says extending the Trump tax cuts would add three and a half trillion to the deficit. They don't care about the deficit. They don't care about spending. This is what they're fighting for. Extend the tax cuts for the rich people. Cut Social Security. Cut Medicare. Cut Medicaid. Cut veterans benefits. Cut food stamps. And this work requirement thing, it's so punitive. It's just punishing poor people with more poverty. It's not going to help the unemployment rate. It's going to hurt struggling Americans. It's going to make families that are poor even poorer. Work requirements are a punishment on people who are working hardest at some of the lowest wage jobs in this country the people who are in those jobs are struggling right now already to meet the work quotas every month. They don't want to lose their benefits. But the Republican Party is not interested in struggling Americans. They're not interested in governing. They don't care if we default. They don't care if the whole thing blows up. Wh- where are the moderates on this? Why are we hearing from these reasonable Republicans we keep hearing about? Where, where are the moderates saying, no, we won't default? Where are they now? Look, <laughs> Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush ran up the debt. Bill Clinton, he fixed it. He had a surplus. Bush came in and squandered the Clinton surplus, left us with a $1.2 trillion deficit. Trump, he squandered Obama's two-thirds deficit reduction. Biden slashed Trump's deficit by over $1.8 trillion. And Republicans are going to keep on doing it again. You're going to starve the beast. You're going to make things worse. You're going to make the rich richer so they'll keep on donating to you. You'll make things worse for middle class and working people so you can blame it on Democrats. But remember, 97% of this debt we're talking about came from before Joe Biden took his oath of office. If you want to get the debt down, you get the annual deficits down. And in 40 plus years, you know what? Only one political party has gotten deficits down. You know who it was? The Democrats. The last four Republican presidents all saw the deficits rise on their watch. The only presidents to reduce the deficit going back decades were Democrats. Republicans do tax giveaways for the upper 1%. They explode the deficit. They explode the debt. And they are always the arsonists heckling the fire department. It's not a both sides issue. It's not a negotiations issue. It's hostage taking by Republicans who are willing to crash your economy. After selling America on a $2 trillion tax cut for the rich, where they promised you were there, it'll grow the economy. It'll pay for itself. Instead, $7 trillion hole in the debt. And they now want to negotiate paying that. Only Democrats have paid down debt in your country in the last 50 years. Okay, so in closing, the 14th Amendment requires the president to pay the debt. The U.S. debt shall not be questioned. Republicans want the U.S. to default because they want voters to feel pain so they can blame a Democratic presidency for the mess they created. Democrats should not be playing their game. Democrats should be ending it. Invoke the 14th Amendment or just mint the damn trillion dollar coin. Steve Schmidt said a politically competent Democratic Party would have responded to the dishonest Republican budget plan by putting a tax increase of equal size on the table. Then there would be something to negotiate. Instead, Democrats got nothing and are guaranteed to lose. Is that how it's going to be, guys? Democrats have to stop caving to the right wing because the right wing doesn't want to help the economy. They want to trash the economy and then blame it on Biden and run on that. Concessions should come from both sides. What Republican concessions have we even heard about? Not just Democrats on concessions and spending cuts to the needy, but also from the Republicans to raise additional tax revenue from the people who are very easily able to pay for more. Partisan dynamics on the debt ceiling, the filibuster. Imagine if it was a Republican president. And he ended the debt ceiling by using the 14th Amendment when a Democratic Congress wanted their own concessions. They would do it in a second. They would mint a coin in a second. And the Republican Senate, once they have the majority, they're going to end the filibuster in a second and do everything some Democrats are too afraid to do right now. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Michael in Texas, welcome. You're on SiriusXM.
5: Okay,
4: I hope that as a progressive liberal, I can speak my mind, because even on some of the progressive show, you can't speak your mind. You're very free to to speak
0: your mind here. Go ahead.
4: I didn't vote for Biden because of Biden. I was voting between the choices of the two evils, Donald or Biden. And now I would vote for him because I'm voting for a democracy. I never liked Biden. I let like the moderate, because I know he was going to cave. And, it, and with this atmosphere, with this type of Republican Party now, the Donald Trump party, you show weakness. They just they, they're going to ask for more. I know. He, now you're choosing to negotiate with them. I't you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm scared I'm tired of the Democratic Party using us too. They're using us at fear level because what we see what's happening in the Republican Party. But I also see what's happening in the Democratic Party. I am tired of weak, moderate Democrats like Joe Biden. I'm tired of them.
0: Well, listen, I know the feeling and I will say Joe Biden has surprised me so much in the last two to three years by how progressive he's been and how tough he's been and how smart and wise he's been. And I had very low expectations for this guy and he surprised me time and time again. And I'm also willing to believe that there is a strategy at play here and that this is going to wind up being resolved. I don't think Joe Biden is going to go ahead and okay any cuts in service to the needy. I just I don't see how he could do it. But I'm curious to see what they will concede on and what they will give up on. And we'll see how angry we are then. Either way, we do know for all their flaws, the Democrats are the only political party trying to do this and not trying to cause chaos to help themselves. Well, you know, what? You can't forget I, I, that as compromised as they as compromised as they are, they're always and I mean, always morally preferable to the GOP.
4: I agree with that, and I hope that you're right, because this is what I think that is at, at stake with this negotiation. Everything, here what's at stake with all of this Republicans. Our democracy, they, listen, they are like bullies. The further you back up, the further they will push you. At some point, you got to stand your ground, and I think this is part of it, this debt ceiling. If they give in to this, it is not over. It get worse. You know this,
0: and I know, I know it i know let's see how it plays out man i'm with you we'll see you know barack obama gave in on a lot of these uh but trump gave in on them too this is part of the dance they do and i don't know how much of it is just the media trying to scare us for ratings i do believe at the end of the day they will raise the debt limit and they will have put us all through a collective heart attack yet again and i can be mad at democrats for making concessions but i'm not going to kid myself about who's the cause of this drama. Thank you for the call, Michael. I really appreciate it. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back with your calls and the great Liz Winstead. We're at 866-997-4748. And we'll be right back on Progress.
7: So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because, you know, I love it when you do.
0: Guys, it's been pretty crazy in the world of fighting back. Against fascists who pretend the Bible wants to criminalize abortion rights, which it doesn't. But in spite of that, you guys know the Republicans know it's a losing deal for them. We we know the Democrats are outperforming in many many elections. We know in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election last month, the liberal judge defeated the conservative candidate by 11 points in a race defined. By passion over abortion rights. We know that Ron DeSantis is already trying to talk down his six week abortion ban because he knows how unpopular it is, and yet they just can't stop our Republican friends. North Carolina Republicans voted to override their governor's veto of a 12 week abortion ban. They got a former abortion rights congresswoman legislature member to flip parties and kill that. Donald Trump is bragging that he was able to kill Roe v. Wade, not realizing he's writing Joe Biden campaign ads for him. And the RNC has acknowledged that abortion hurt the GOP in the midterms. And now it's urging candidates to go ahead and just address the issue head on, which means change the subject. You know who's not? Liz Winstead is not the great comedian, the great radio and TV personality, the co-creator of The Daily Show, and of course, the CCO and founder of Abortion Access Front. Now, Liz does a great, great podcast, Feminist Buzzkills, which we've talked about on the show before. However, they're going to be doing their first live taping right here in New York City on June 7th with special guest Murray Hill, who I haven't seen in years and is a big figure in the new york cabaret world it is a great pleasure to talk with one of the biggest heroes we have in the comedy or political or activist world for women's reproductive rights the lovely liz winstead hi liz
6: hi john um i just wanted to say right before we start that the live show is not gonna be murray hill oh so sorry no it's okay we just swapped out um we were supposed to have murray hill but murray is launching this amazing he's on the hit show on hbo max right now somebody somewhere yeah. and he's also launching this incredible drag game show and he got called away but the cool news is we have the co-star of somebody somewhere uh jeff heller incredible comedian um and he plays the co-star on the show if you watch it he's hilarious stand up great comedic actor so I know, but Murray's having his second coming, so bless Murray. Well,
0: very nice. Well, I, I, I'm excited either way, because every live show I've ever done with you, Miss Winstead, it's always amazing. You take you take the hardest subject for comedians to joke about, which would be abortion, and you give these incredible, funny, passionate shows where, honestly, the last show we did in Brooklyn, the passion from the audience was as great as the passion from the all-male performers on stage. It... it, it, it <laughs> You know, it's just amazing that you keep on harvesting great comedy out of this issue and out of all the regressive bullshit we're constantly fighting against.
6: Well, you know, I think that when you have rich targets of hypocrisy, you can really mine the comedy. And I also feel, too, you know, uh, Feminist Buzzkills is the only weekly podcast that's done by activists who are working in the field. And Mm. so it's great conversation. It's like. We have really incredible activists and providers and researchers on the show. And then we have comedy and it's a really great, it's a really great um, pod. And I'm super stoked to do it live because it has all of the makeup of a really great live stage show. So I'm super psyched.
0: I'm very, very excited for it. I mean, I got to ask your thoughts on some of what we've been witnessing lately. We haven't had you on the show in a month. And honestly, Liz, you know, Donald Trump was the reason we all had to learn how to say hydroxychloroquine. And now he's the reason we've all had to learn how to say mifepristone. Uh, You know, we we knew when he ran and said, I just want to kill Roe v. Wade and bring it back to the States. We knew that was a lie. We knew they were going to try and ban it in all 50 states. And now we see with this abortion pill, which is much safer than pregnancy, which is used for the majority of pregnancy terminations and which has been legal for 50 years they're literally trying to create ways to just get enough people in on a plot to make a popular pill illegal.
6: Yeah, I mean, the, the hypocrisy around all of it is wild. Where to even start, right? Um, you know, mifepristone is, as you said, it's a safe pill. It's been legal since 1988 in Europe, since it's been available in the United States since the year 2000. So for 23 years, people have been using this medication safely, effectively. It went through a rigorous four-year process in the States before it even came to market. And just to give you an idea of what that means, Viagra from patent to market was two years. And wow. Yeah, and with over five million people using this pill safely, um, the complications that uh, and 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 you can't even directly say, but the complications that led to death of the use of this pill. What would you say it was, John? What would you suppose? Five million people used it. What would you think?
0: uh, I I wouldn't even know how to how to guess. Uh, You know what
6: what would be a low number of five if five five million people have used this pill. what, What would you guess?
0: Oh, I'd say a few thousand.
6: Uh, the answer is 25. What? <laughs> 25. People. This is where yeah. and so when we talk about you know who's rushing it to judgment, who's doing it. And the thing that is so wild for your listeners who haven't been following this case and it is a whirlwind of a case. Uh, a consortium of "quote unquote pro-life medical providers um created a created this little club. In November <laughs> of last year, mm-hmm. and decided they wanted to ban Mifepristone. Um Searched around, found a judge in Amarillo, Texas, who spent his entire life being one of those um, activist judges who worked for a firm that is makes the you know Alliance for Defending Freedom look like. Oh, I'm Bichon.
0: very sorry, Liz. I don't think he spent his entire life being one of those judges. I think a reality show character made him a judge very recently.
6: Oh. Well, there also could be that. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they argue this case in front of this judge. And here's the part that is just so ironic, right? So they're saying this pill was looked at in the year 2000, but they've made changes to the accessibility of the pill. And and that's just old news. And part of the the law that they're saying we need to uphold is an 1878 law, John, called the Comstock Act. That's it and 2000 is just too much but 1878 and for those of you who don't know about the comstock act it's lit comstock was literally some dude who in 18 18- during the grant administration that would be Ulysses, <S. Right. s um mm-hmm. who is just one of these anti-sex bummer theater trolls who <laughs> Decided that he found out that they were se- sending sex toys and pornography through the mail. That's right. So dude, dude collected all of the sex toys, had, had them mailed to him, sex toys, mm-hmm. porn. Of course, he wasn't using it, right? He was getting it for research.
0: And this is this is in the Grant administration. So we're talking sex that we're made of wood, right? We're not talking yeah, any kind of talking, late. No. Yeah, no, no silicone here, folks.
6: This does not seem fun. You no. know, these are toys. I think you know when they said they had to get men right after the war. We're talking about the fact that men were in the Civil War having yeah. sex with each other. Yeah, these are out. these
0: are sex toys where bark falls off them. You know, it's just not a good scene. But go on, Miss Winston.
6: Not great. No lube. We're not talking no, about you know,
0: none of that. This isn't, none of that. No so, pine cones were the lube in, in the Grant administration. <laughs> go ahead, please.
6: Oh yeah, so they sent them through the mail or the Pony Express or the Wells Fargo wagon. Who knows? Um, <laughs> He collects up all of his shit and he calls up Congress and he says, I want to come and put it on display in Washington, D.C. and show you what they're selling. And Congress is like, yes, please come. Dude sets up a display. Congress is like, wow, this seems bad. We should pass a law that bans selling all this stuff uh, through the mail and we're going to name it after you. And he's like, thank you. So that's what they did. They made a law that said you cannot sell um, any kind of, lascivious materials that would you know mm. destroy the moral fabric of america right and that wasn't enough for dude red dude got this ban then dude decided i'm going to make sure that there's not just a law but that that law is going to be enforced so then the dude became a postal enforcer and so <laughs> 1878 this is the law that they're saying, well, you know, we have this law that says you can't send things through the mail, so we can't have abortion pills sent through the mail. And, you know, they cited that they these, these doctors all said, you know, if this happens, we are going to be overwhelmed with patients who will have been harmed by using this pill. And it's mm. like, excuse me, but you haven't been harmed at all yet. And second of all, if somebody takes medication abortion and is having a complication, you know, who they're not going to go to the pro-life doctor who wants to throw them in jail for taking That's right. the
5: pill. That's
6: and right. the, dentist, I should say, there is a dentist that signed on to this. And I'm like, just because you look at one kind of cavity, sir, does not. Mean. <laughs> I mean, this is how outrageous it is. And so what was amazing was Josh Hawley's wife is the attorney for these people. Oh, Yeah. You know, you're making bad decisions when you decide to let Josh Hawley soil you. Now (laughs) she is the lawyer for the anti-abortion pill consortium. And so she's like, well, people are aggrieved. They just because they know abortion's around. It's causing them harm. And the lawyer for our side just said, look, we are here to argue one thing. Are these doctors in any way, shape or form harmed? Because they haven't proved it. One, they cited three cases in their suit. All Mm. three of those cases were pills that were procured from India. Just so you know, India, not part of the FDA, Mm -hmm. (laughs) doesn't have jurisdiction over India. Two, they have never, ever seen a person, nor did they cite, that they'd ever seen a person who had been harmed by uh, abortion pills through the mail or through telemedicine. Right. And three, Never. they could they couldn't show in any of their filings that anybody had forced them to see, treat or provide abortion care to a patient where they filed a complaint that they couldn't step away or invoke a conscience clause, which is there. So those were the three things they had to prove and they didn't. And, but the Fifth Circuit is such a garbage court that they were like, well, I don't know. I feel like, you know, if there's abortion around and these people are feeling bad about it. You know, one of the judges on this three panel court that heard the hearing said abortion was a moral A moral disaster in America. You know, it's a mess. We're in a mess, John. It's a mess.
0: We're in a mess. But let me let me just bring up the fact that that all of these rules are incredibly unpopular. Ron DeSantis is not talking about his six week abortion ban because it's incredibly unpopular in his own state. It's as unpopular as his his new abortion ban is more unpopular than he's popular. Over seventy percent approval in his state right now. White
6: boots are more popular.
0: But what they keep doing, Liz, and you know this, they 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 keep running for the Republican nomination. They keep going as far to the right as possible. This then discuss mainstream voters and independents for going on three straight elections. Now go overwhelmingly for Democrats. We saw it in 18. We saw it in 20. We saw it in 22. And so when I see Donald Trump and and bragging about getting rid of Roe v. Wade and they're going after Mifepristone by mail. It tells me they're not going to be smart enough to pull back in time. What we saw in Kansas, what we saw in Wisconsin, how people will turn out. Liz, how does this not end with Republicans justifying going through the private mail of American citizens? I don't see how you can ban Mifepristone by mail and then not enforce the ban by mail.
6: Well, that's exactly right, Jen. And I do have to say that, you know, there's plenty of responsibility for all of us. To go around in this, right? The reason that abortion is more popular than any politician,
4: like
3: yes.
6: it just is on ballots, it just is. People understand it fundamentally. People who have privately wanted to have abortions have been able to. And the Democratic Party, and I'll tell you, being an activist for so long, I cannot tell you how many higher ups in the party, people who are holding public office, Right now, activists all over the place, people in the movement to protect abortion access, telling me when I started this journey, we don't say abortion. Do not talk about it. It's a wedge issue. It's siloed. Hmm. we talk talking euphemism. We Hmm. laid the foundation through our silence for them to fill this big cavernous hole, get people elected. And we never fought back. The way that we finally have in the past two years people weren't talking about you were but regular media mainstream media didn't talk about abortion in a way that it should have been centered until the leak happened that mm. is when we really started hearing about it in earnest and and still so it's like we have work to do to understand that yes indeed we need to understand that The reason people fight so hard for abortion is that having that option gives someone the path to their very destiny and how they want to live their lives. Right. Right. And so to take that away and let's be clear about one thing I just want to say over and over again, as we're seeing um, this backtracking that they're trying to make look like it's consensus or reasonable, a 12 week ban, no ban is reasonable because the second we have a society that decides there is a point where the government gets to decide what medical care you get and how you have ownership over your own body, mm-hmm. that's a government that has failed.
0: Well <laughs> as you know yeah, as 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 transparents in Florida are learning right now with Ron DeSantis. But Liz, I, I got I, I have to ask you what you think about the possibility of a growing on, on a political level of this fissure over the six week ban, because Trump has come out against it. DeSantis is going to try to beat him up for it. And in the midst of this, the Susan B. Anthony's list, which uh, let's be honest, Liz, most nice people don't have to know what Susan B. Anthony's list is. Have they right. made peace with Donald Trump? Because it seems like, you know, obviously Donald Trump just cares about himself. He had to promise to get rid of abortion to become president. He used to support women's reproductive freedoms. Now he doesn't. It's all about how much chaos he can cause within this party but um do you think that that's something that we should be hopeful for is the six-week ban going to tear them apart and and what is susan b anthony's list and and why should we care
6: so susan b anthony's list just so you know it's a two-pronged thing that's a super interesting thing so the susan b anthony list is basically if your listeners know what emily's list is which is the a pro-choice lobbying group. They endorse candidates. They help fund candidates who are um, pro-choice and running for office. Emily's List is the opposite of that. It is the anti-abortion right-wing, endorse candidates, give candidates money, and back candidates. Now, the other thing... So Emily's List was mad at Trump for about two days. And then they said, we've had a conversation with him and we feel good about it. They're complete hypocrites because truth be told, if, if you believe a fantasy... Believe it all the way. If you're gonna make up lies about what abortion is and what pregnancy is, then you shouldn't be for it ever. You know, Mm -hmm. like live in your garbage, live in your lie. But the other thing that the Susan B. Anthony List did is they funded a fake research arm called the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And so every time you hear like some right-wing person cite a fact that's not true, like, (laughs) well, Studies have shown that abortion causes breast cancer. It is the Charlotte Lozier Institute that hasn't done peer reviewed studies, but that has made up their own science and facts and they link back to themselves. So they have an entire research arm that's not to prove the truth through research, but to prove their narrative. Exactly. um, Weird anecdotal evidence and fake science. Um, Fake garbage.
0: We've only got a minute left, but I have to ask you, I wish I had more time about this, but your thoughts on Trisha Cotham, the legislator in North Carolina who ran on protecting women's rights and now is the person who killed them.
6: She told her abortion story on the floor of the North Carolina House. There is. Yeah. she got, I got mine and now you can't have yours. And Trisha Cotham is somebody who is her district is being gerrymandered it's been rumored all over the place that she wants to run for higher office and she can't run as a democrat so she sold out her morals her values and the people of north carolina so that she can win a congress seat and it's disgusting
0: there we go (laughs) i can't wait for republicans to to never vote for her
6: come to our show in new york it's gonna be so much conversation we have dope activists who have much more knowledge than I even have. Funny comedians, <laughs> live, 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 live. Come see us live.
0: It's June seventh. Where should people go to get tickets, Ms. Winstead?
6: You can go to Drum NYC and check us out on all the socials at Abortion Front.
0: I've done shows with you, with 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 David Cross and with Sarah Silverman. I have never been to a Liz Winstead AAF show that was not a complete riot. Ms. Winstead, thank you very much. We'll always promote everything you do. And thank you so much for fighting for women's rights and being funny while you do it.
6: Thank you, my dear. It's so great to be with you.
0: We'll be right back with your calls. 866-997-4748. Ah. <sighs> Hey, this is uh, Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fuglesing. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. I want to get to your calls in just a second. Rhonda Hansom's going to join us in just a moment as well. Uh, let me just play this, if I could, on NBC's Meet the Press. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, who had vetoed the abortion bill in his state, And then they got, as you heard us discussing with Liz Winstead, they got a pro-choice Democrat to flip over to the GOP side, and they were able to override his veto. Now abortions are nearly impossible in the Tar Heel state, and the clinics are under duress as a result. Here's Governor Cooper.
2: When you look at what this bill does, I don't think we can even comprehend yet uh, the pressure that these clinics are going to be under by these additional restrictions. Women who are working hourly wages and already have children and have to make multiple trips in order to get reproductive care. North Carolina has been an access point in the Southeast. We already have uh, long waiting lines. And when you compress the time that women have to make these decisions, I I don't think it's reasonable to call this thing a 12 week ban because inside of that 12 weeks, there's a lot going on that would uh, be obstacles to women in being able to get care.
0: Yeah, like not knowing you're pregnant for the first eight weeks or six weeks. My God, it's just deliberately designed by men who know they don't know what they're talking about just to be cruel to women. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. It's got nothing to do with economy. It's got nothing to do with even morality. If these guys wanted abortions to stop, they'd support sex ed. They'd support easier access to birth control. This is about control. I used to think that people on the left are pushing too far when they said that. I thought, yeah, maybe maybe they really just care about the fetuses. I was young. I gave them the benefit of the doubt. They don't. If they cared about fetuses, they would accept climate science. They don't care about the fetus. The fetus is going to be a child. And that's what Republicans are paid not to care about. Let's go to the phones. We are at 866-997-4748. Mark in Wisconsin. Thank you for waiting. Hello. Oh,
3: and I haven't been waiting at all. I mean, the, oh, good. it's just... It, it just is, you know, and thank you for your talking. But I no. remember back.
0: Thea, in, put him back on hold. He hasn't Thea, put him back on hold for like an hour, that, so he knows his place, like the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> he gets, okay, go ahead, Mark.
3: Uh, I, I've waited on hold for a while on other programs, but I mean, it, it just is. I, it, it, you just took me back and yanked me from what I was going to talk about. I just saw a program on PBS I'm coming in late. Tonight. I saw a program on PBS on the internment of the Japanese during World War II. Mm-hmm. And some of them are some of the loudest voices against what's happening at the border, the persecutions that are happening at our border. But I mean, I can remember back in the 1980s, you know, that having to explain to colleagues that I worked with, and I was in my 20s back then, having to explain to them what an ectopic pregnancy was and why that an abortion was the only choice for a woman at that at that Mm. point. Then it it just is. And like you brought up, I mean, if the Republicans really cared about the abortion, they would actually fund you know reproductive health care, fully funded yes. reproductive health care for women and sex education at, at lower and lower grade levels. I mean, I can remember That's in right. sixth grade, they kicked all those boys out of the classroom and showed the girls on, on probably a, a film on menses. Yeah. And now they don't even discuss that in school. No. They don't want to discuss it anymore because it's just, it, this is.
0: Because they're terrified of women's bodies. They're terrified of science. Yeah. They're terrified of biology.
3: And they're in there, and they don't have teeth. Let me tell you that, Republicans. There's nothing to be afraid of. With the Again, they're,
0: they're, they're terrified of the Bible. They haven't read it. They're just acting on what they think it says.
3: And, and it's all and, weakness. And in the Old Testament, they actually have formulas for, for abortions. I think.
0: In, in Numbers chapter five, there's a there's a thing where if your wife is pregnant by another man, uh, you can bring her in to the temple priest because she is property. Um, and uh, the temple priest will make a, a concoction, a bitter water potion out of sawdust and other stuff that's lying around. And um, and yeah, if your wife is pregnant by another man, um, it will cause her to uh, to miscarry and to be mutilated and her belly will swell. Her thigh will rot. And that's how you know. Uh, but again, right-wingers will be happy to know, at least in this story, like in their fantasy world, the woman has no choice.
3: And and I would think that, and this is probably me going beyond my theological bent, that I would think that even if, if you hold the Bible as true, that Eve was the, the mother of original sin, you would have thought a woman actually giving birth to the Son of God would have actually expunged that guilt from women, but they still want to assign it. and not that I think women are guilty of it, but I mean, you would have thought that would have expunged their guilt in and, and that event alone right. as, as opposed to having to put up with ma- you know male domination for the past how many thousands of years that um, yeah that they've had to endure it I mean it is just re- flat out and out ridiculous that we're going we're going sliding further and further back and it just is um if they wanna if they want to get rid of abortion then then provide women with birth control and
0: That's it, man. But at pregnancy. the same but don't forget we're also going forward. I know we're going back, but we're also going forward. I mean, women's reproductive freedoms are so much more important to the society right now than they were fifty years ago. When Roe first was passed by the Supreme Court, we've all heard many stories about this, there was no controversy. It was several years before Jerry Fowell even mentioned abortion in a speech. No one really cared all that much at first. It took a while. For an evangelical movement that had lost civil rights and had lost Nixon to realize this is how they'd get their mojo back and get back into power. And for my entire life, that's been the formula. Republicans have used abortion to get people who haven't read the Bible to vote for Republican policies that are against everything in the damn Bible. That's it. That's the racket.
3: And I can remember, even amongst family members, people that were claiming that Catholics weren't Christians because they. You know, we were all baptized Catholic, Catholics as, as babies, but, you know, that they had adopted other forms of Protestantism, and they said, well, Catholics aren't even Christians. And they go...
0: I get that all the time. What the
3: hell are you talking about? I mean... Yeah, it, of it, course. It's just, but now they're all allies now because, you know, the whole abortion issue.
0: But that's why that's why I talk about what I talk about, because they're fundamentalists, right? And they they own Jesus. They own God. They own religion. They own Christianity. And they'll tell you Catholics aren't real because they're papists and blah, blah, fucking blah. I'm sorry. I've had it with my whole thing is this. If you call yourself a Rolling Stones cover band. But you never play Rolling Stones songs and you don't know the words to Rolling Stones songs, then why did you name your band after the Rolling Stones? If you legislate against everything Christ talked about, if all you fight for is shit that Jesus doesn't talk about, like gay people, trans people being mean to immigrants, banning abortion. At some point, someone's got to come out and say, dude, your religion's criminalizing abortion. It's got nothing to do with the Nazarene, who was quite a liberal fellow when you actually get around to reading that part of the Bible. So it's like we got to call them out because they've used this grift to take rights away from women. And this deliberate misreading of the Bible in a country with separation of church and state is why women now have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers.
3: And now they want to strip that. They want to strip the freedom of religion, the freedom from religion, from our from our Constitution and that I mean look at Matthew look at Matthew 35 I mean that it just is we're supposed to be kind to the stranger welcome the stranger feed the feed the
0: feed the poor Matthew 25 homeless, yep parable you know, of the goats and the sheep it, that's it, Christianity it is, right there Jesus lays it all out he and, says even to the kind, you,
3: even be kind to prisoners I mean that yeah. it, it just is yeah I mean it, it just is you could challenge, try to challenge them on that and they just kind of shut down and they they haven't Jesus read it it's over and and yeah. that, and, and it, you know that. Uh, it's interesting. I have a sister-in-law that said. You know, at one point she was having a crisis of faith in her, from her Protestant missionary background. She says, "Wish well, she could be like the rest of you guys, not believe in anything." I go, "What the heck, well, what the heck do you mean? We don't believe in anything?" I mean, that even atheists sometimes believe in something.
0: I mean, they always that, say that, though. They always say that, and the reality is, they say that you know, non-believers or agnostics don't believe anything. In reality, it's like they don't believe anything that's actually in the Bible. They have created a God in their own image who just so conveniently hates the same people they hate. They believe in nothing and they haven't read the Bible. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you know this, the louder they are about their piety, the less they know about their holy book. When will the Democratic Party finally realize this and call out the frauds? Because, you know, most all people who are Christian, everyone treats the Bible like it's the buffet at Golden Corral, right? Everyone does it. But liberals do it to justify being kind and loving to the less fortunate. Republicans do it to justify being cruel and shitty to people.
3: And even other face it. You know, I think it, one of the tenets of the Sikh religion is to feed the poor. That's right. And I think I saw a program on, on, uh, on PBS where they had this massive feeding of the poor. I mean, massive feeding of everybody who would come in to, to feed. To feed and I go,
0: there are hundreds of references in the Bible to the need to care for the poor. There are zero references in the Bible for the need to ban abortion.
3: And nothing about and, and condemnation of, of wealth for wealth's sake. Yeah. That, um, anyway, thank yes. you so much for taking my call, John.
0: What a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. You're a real Thanks gentleman. You, I have no idea why you listen to a show like this. Uh, We've got to take a quick one. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll get to your call in just a second, but we'll get to your call with Miss Rhonda Hanson, who's joining us right after this. We're at 866-997-4748. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Progress.
5: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line.
1: I know
0: why you're excited. You're thrilled that Tim Scott has finally jumped into the race for president in 2024. Tim Scott, the other bachelor senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott, who... Only looks so good because he's got Lindsey Graham around to make him look good. Tim Scott, who never saw a Trump policy he didn't like, has officially jumped into the GOP primary. He announced it at an event in North Charleston, South Carolina earlier today. He's got a lot of money, $22 million already. Uh, And I know that because that's what the New York Times said in the article. He has $22 million on hand. You ever notice they, they never say what his opinions are? They never say why he's special. You know, just Tim Scott announced his plan to spend 22 million. And it's like, okay, but they never talk about his principles or his ideas, just his money. And that's why he's one of the most serious competitors in the eyes of the New York Times. My God, I need someone smarter and more moral and more foxy than me to make sense of all this mishigas, And thank God we have that person right here, y'all. Rhonda Handsome joins us here on the show every Monday. She's one of my favorite comedians and a riot to see live or be around. Rhonda's a great comic. She's open for Anita Baker, Diana Ross, Aretha Franklin. She does great solo shows. Catch her on Politipod, available on SoundCloud. And she's also directing in the Playwright Showcase on the 26th of this month for a new federal theater at the Castillo on 42nd Street in New York City. Miss Rhonda Handsome, welcome back.
8: I'm black, y'all.
0: Thank God, just like, <laughs> just like Tim Scott. Um, I don't and I'm think sure...
8: so, John. I am not black
0: like. <laughs> oh Ms. no, Rhonda. the Republicans oh, have told me no, no. He's he he said he's the he's the radical left's worst nightmare because they can't call him racist, even though he has spent his entire career smiling at the Confederate flag. Rhonda, I saw his.
8: I'm licking white supremacist boots, John. That's his yep. pastime. That's that it. is his pastime. I am. I am so really tired of these black faces in high spaces in, uh, in who are just there as window dressing, as a rubber stamp for the system, and and doing absolutely nothing to uh, to empower black people to make lives better for us here. All they are there to do is say, yes, sir, uh, yes, yeah. ma'am, to the GOP.
0: Well, they're also there to say that racism's a myth. Let's not forget. Tim Scott, the only thing he loves to do more than talk about all the times he's been pulled over doing nothing wrong behind the wheel is to talk about how racism's a myth. And that's what he does. When it suits him to be in an interview, he'll say, well, I understand prejudice. I've been pulled over many times by police. But when he's speaking to an all-white crowd, he'll talk about how racism's a myth in this country, and he he said it. He said it after a, Rhonda after the insurrection on January 6th, where where they were bringing Confederate flags in to serve a president who said the first black president wasn't born here in a building that was built by slaves, and Tim Scott stood in that building and said America's not a racist country. I just Oh well,
8: yeah, I'm I'm just glad he didn't have a hood on while he was saying that. You know? But
0: that's his that's his job, right? Like his job is, this entire twenty two million he's spending is all about a very 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 public audition, to either be Donald Trump's running mate or Ron DeSantis's running mate. So yeah, he's yeah. going to be talking all about how there's no such thing as racism or as anything at all, and we had a black president, and that means everything's fine.
8: It, it is a time for him to be a rubber stamp, if he even gets that far, John. I don't think he's going to get that far. I think he's going to be used to uh, make that uh, party feel like, oh, we're not racist, and he will be good That's for it. making money. I mean, he's got all those millions there, and right. uh, you know, bringing it into the party, and then they will quietly let him let him disappear like Herschel Walker. <laughs>
0: That's going to be it. Yeah, it's going to he's going to be in the Alan Keyes or the Herman Cain. What me racist spot? They've, they've <laughs> got to have a black man on stage at all of those Republican uh, debates to diffuse the notion of racism. It's just like and, and you know, Tim Scott is going to have exactly the same experience Herman Cain had. He'll win a couple of polls and then the primaries will begin and nobody will vote for him. It's, Here he is earlier today. This is Tim Scott announcing his. Presidential campaign to be vice president at a rally in North Charleston, South Carolina. We'll play the whole thing. Let's hear a little bit.
2: I have lived that the closest thing to magic in America is a good education. But today, the far left has us retreating away from excellence in schools. Extreme liberals are letting big labor bosses trap millions of kids in failing schools. They're replacing education with indoctrination.
0: Okay, I got to stop it there. Got to stop it there. This guy's in a political party that's trying to cut education. Rhonda, I, 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 I it's possible he's going to make me even more insane than Alan Keyes or Herman Cain did. I mean, he's fifty-seven, right? He's he's never married, just like confirmed bachelor Lindsey Graham, never married. But they know what's best for women, and Tim Scott I don't has know already what he, said. He, go he, ahead.
8: He's talking about John because first thing, education has always been indoctrination, the, and now the GOP is actually taking uh, history, uh, sometimes even math, out of the whole system itself. They don't, they, they don't want uh, anything uh, about the actual uh, history of of the United States uh, beyond. Uh, White people having been responsible for everything that's good. And we will say nothing that's going to make any anybody feel uncomfortable about our racist history.
0: Hmm. Hey, uh, can I get to the gossipy part now? Can, I, can oh, we go to the I, caddy? De-
8: definitely. Meow.
0: <laughs> well, when Tim Scott was running for the first time in South Carolina, he ran really talking about his evangelical Christian faith. He doesn't actually talk about what Jesus talked about, but he he talks about how great he is as a Christian. And he ran publicly as a very proud 30-year-old virgin. He told oh audiences God. on the campaign trail when he was 30, he had never been intimate with a woman because it was against God's word. Now, <sighs> both Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham, both red state senators from a very deeply red state are both what we call confirmed bachelors, Rhonda, is, is
8: that in air quotes, John? There air quotes. Yes, it is in
0: air quotes in my mind. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're a 30 year old virgin in this century, I, I or or in the in the 90s, I just I I don't even know. I mean, when can I start making download jokes? That's my joke, Rhonda. When can I start <laughs> making download jokes?
8: It's highly suspect, but everything uh, around him is, John, and I, I really can't help feeling like it's only window dressing. It's, it's just like a, a passing fancy f- to, to actually make racists feel good about their biases.
0: Always, always. But again, two senators in the same state, both of the middle-aged, lifelong bachelors with no children, talking a lot about family planning, Religion, what women can and can't do with their bodies. I'm just saying it's 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 kind of interesting. Tim, so Tim Scott, he's running for vice president, right? I mean, this is he, he at least isn't like running for higher public speaking fees. He's got a pretty good shot at being DeSantis or Trump's running mate.
8: That frightens me. That, that really yeah. frightens me.
0: Because he'd be the smartest pick.
8: <laughs> it, it would be the smartest pick and it would do absolutely nothing for black people at all.
0: Of course it wouldn't. It's a Republican's party. Of course not. It would just be someone who wasn't Nikki Haley that they could offer VP to. But yeah, I I, I don't see it going anywhere.
8: They are collecting the worst assortment of... um Faces of color. And, you know, I don't even like that people of color uh, <laughs> terminology. But I know. But, I, I mean, the the things that are coming out of, of people who have melanin uh, in their skin is absolutely <laughs> frightening to me. John, they, you know, they, they're talking... Uh, white supremacist points, the, the, the talking points and 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 dealing with them like they would have never been oppressed. Like, the, exactly. like their whole their whole tribe, their, their whole ethnicity has never been held in contempt.
0: <laughs> you know, I got to ask you about this, because over the weekend, the NAACP did something I didn't see coming. They issued a travel advisory for Florida. They said that Ron DeSantis' policies were undemocratic and openly hostile to people of color and to people who identify as LGBTQ. I really didn't see it coming. And a lot of angry right wing people about this saying that the NAACP did a stunt. And that's what I love to hear, Rhonda, that this was a stunt by the NAACP after Ron DeSantis having the Don't Say Gay Bill or his White Fragility Stop Woke Act or lying migrants onto a plane to fly them to dump them on the Republican governor of Massachusetts. Oh, but the NAACP pulled a stunt. What do you make of it? Uh, why do you, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm all for go, piling on Ron DeSantis any way you can, but, I mean, were you surprised by this?
8: No. First thing, I think the NAACP is somehow trying to uh, scrape by, by their fingernails to hold on to some remnant of their black card by saying okay. uh, you know something uh, about black people. And they really are. Um, they're, they're trying to uh, cater to the LGBT to make sure that they know that they're fighting for them. I'm very upset with NAACP because they are not fighting for the rights of black people. I think it is a stunt. I think they want to make sure that uh, th- that every ethnicity, every person coming into this country knows that they, the NAACP will fight for them, and that if they are uh, uh, and if those people are against blacks, they will support them. They will support mm. them in getting money, they will support them in getting education, they'll support them in getting video games in whatever hotel they're staying in. I, I really do think it's a stunt. <laughs> I really
0: do. Uh, well, it's a stunt that we can believe in. Uh, Miss Hansen, we have a lot of our riffraff and evil, evil army of the night that want to weigh in about everything. Are you ready to Bring talk to some of the Bring on the
8: riffraff, John. Let's go.
0: Some of y'all have been very, very patient, and I'm going to thank you all for it, starting with Todd in Michigan. Hi, Todd. Thanks for waiting on hold.
9: Rhonda, I saved this call for tonight, um, and I'm going to try to stay as calm as I can, and I have to lay a little uh, groundwork <laughs> for you. Um, I'm I'm I was I'm in an elected position here in Michigan, and we're an, an adjunct kind of uh, office that coordinates things between the farming area and the conservation area and what have you. And our budget has been you know low forever. I mean I'm these are unpaid positions as far as I'm a director I'm a, I'm right now, mm-hmm. and um, we were up there to lobby these politicians to get some money. Well, we have two notorious. Um, Republicans, and um, and part of it is we're getting um, all this money that's coming in from the you know from Biden's plan, the farm bill, and somebody has to implement it to make it make sure it makes it to the farmers and to the urban areas to get urban farms and things like that you know that that are needed, and so we went in to lobby these, and we were given you know we we had marching orders and what we could say and what we couldn't say, and we. Walked into the. We got appointments in their proper appointments in their office. So we went into the first, just the the, the regular, you know, house rep. And um, as I was walking in, I noticed that his uh, assistant that was walking to us to the back and also to take notes while we were there, uh, he had the Nazi youth haircut. You know, ah. the, <laughs> the the cut short on the left side and then that ripped over. You know. Cute blonde hair, which was, I think, was even highlighted a a wee bit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and and I I absorb things as I'm walking through the office to get to the wait, the the actual conference room or his office. And uh, I notice all the in the one cubicle, all the the Reagan paraphernalia and stuff like that. But anyway, we get in there and we start talking about, you know, we need more for our budget to the uh, guy that was actually the administrator of an adjacent district. He, uh, he, he had to only keep himself to 10 hours and cut out his own health insurance because they don't have any money to operate on. Okay. And we operate on grants and things like that, but we we're the lowest budget in the, anyway. So we're asking about him I and he's just shaking his head saying, well, I'm not going to vote for the budget anyway, no matter what. And, finally got down to it and it says it's racist and my ears pop up i say racist
8: how is this
9: so (laughs) oh well this is it he points to his skin he points to his wrist and he says well if you don't you, you know this can exempt you from getting certain types of loans talking about the cutouts that are made for minorities and and you know other people oh oh yeah
0: so because i'm 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 disadvantaged because i'm white because i can't qualify for a loan for disadvantaged non-white people
9: against white people now you understand that john oh i understand that he doesn't understand what the word racist means yeah yeah as pale as you are you understand how it's against your folks that other people get a little help Oh, of course, <laughs> but, uh, oh, this yeah, it <laughs>
8: upsets me so much when when it seems like parity, and I even hate the word equity, but when when so- it seems like anything is coming close to repairing and coming close to equality, it feels like oppression to those people who have been privileged all of america 's life, all of American life. I mean, right. how could he even think this?
9: Well, and this is the thing he lit my fuse. But these <laughs>
8: are the was, gatekeepers. These are the gatekeepers of well, all, no, and all this is of this you No, know, of funding.
9: No, and this is it, Rhonda, but this is it. what makes it even worse is I knew I was, you know, at this point, I knew I wasn't going to get a, we weren't going to get any type of action with from him, you know, mm-hmm. in any way, even trying to push it, you know, in his own party. Mm-hmm. But, but it was like, at this point, I said, okay, now you've, now you've got me. <laughs> <laughs> and And... And I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "For 200 years, people have been oppressed because of this." Right. And I said, "Because of that, it's you know it, this has been carried on." For, for, I said, "Finally, people need a stepping stone. People need need at least an even keel to you know at least move ahead." Yeah. And and then you know it was like a Fox talking point. Then he said, something, and, "And this really got me." and, and Rhonda, you'll understand," he said. "Well, you know, there's no family structure there.
8: Oh my God! <laughs> okay, well, okay,
9: uh, and, and, and Rhonda?
0: thats just how I they was raised. <laughs>
9: Rhonda, I felt the same thing. I, I, I grew up in a, you know, uh, an adjacent black and white community. I went to a, a high high school that was sixty, seventy percent black." I've, you know, incorporated I understand, you know, the culture. And I I said to him, I said, what do you understand about black families? I said, I associated, I I hung out with black guys that, you know, (laughs) there was such a strong family structure. I said, other people would crave, other kids would crave something like that. But <laughs> tell me, this, you don't did he ever you're...
8: get to the point of saying black people know nothing about farming whatsoever? <laughs> yeah, see, and, you know, and then,
9: God, no, we didn't get that. <laughs> and then I just told him, I said, you know, sometime in your life, you need to just strip it off and go and live and spend some time in the black community and find out. What's really there? Because you have no idea.
8: He's and not going to do point, it. And, and people do not believe that these are the gatekeepers. A lot of people do not believe that this is who oh no. is and, and saying yes and no to money going out to, right. to organizations and individuals.
9: And we were explaining to them: we get $1 in, it's going to be $4, 5 $6 that are generated within our community. <laughs> and and getting that money and even more so getting the, the farm appropriations bill that went through with all that extra cash. The, you know, the Todd,
0: the you're Biden a good man. How do I vote for you? How do I vote for you?
9: Yeah, no, it's this was just terrible. And, and so I, I I had I was standing up five minutes left. I was already pacing, ready to go out the door. I had enough. I just right had on. enough. But anyway, I just wanted to relate that and some other time I'll tell you about the time I got pulled over by Chicago police and I was the only white face in the back and the entire episode changed. But there's other people to talk to tonight.
0: Okay, well, I thank you for calling it. I appreciate your stories, and I appreciate I, that you called to talk to Rhonda because she, she's, you, she's so more interesting no, than me. I, I, I,
9: some, some other night when, it's, when, it's getting, getting, when there's a lull and you're begging for stories, I'll, I'll come back with that one. For
0: you know you. what? Some night when Rhonda's not here, call me and we'll talk about lame white guy shit, okay? We'll, we'll just talk about mayonnaise and rush. Any good one, Sus. Oh Anytime. Yes. All oh. right. Thanks, Todd. Have a good one. That was, that was a nice call. <laughs> that was all it, for you. I
8: appreciate it. But but, John, this is the thing that gets me when uh, people make believe that this does not happen every day, that it hasn't been a tradition, that it doesn't even have to be written down any place. People yeah. know when you walk in the office, this is what's going to be. This is how it's going to go down. And, and, and it really is a shame. And it's almost horrific as as Daniel Penny.
0: Oh, Daniel Penny
8: situation as being comical. Can you believe that this man actually used that term around? His yes, oh, oh, I can believe someone? it quite a
0: bit. I, I think Daniel Penny is very certain that he is going to walk because, again, it was a homeless, mentally ill black person. Since when? Since when do you get in trouble for murdering one of those on a train? Yeah, uh, I mean, oh, I did a whole rant last week, Ron, about all these people calling him the Good Samaritan because they've never actually read the Good Samaritan part of the Bible.
8: He and and he thinks it's great that he he was planning a trip to Africa. You know that he he's such a great person. Like, because no racist, no oppressor, no no white supremacist has never taken a trip to Africa.
0: Yeah, I can't be racist. I'm going to Africa to pillage ivory. Uh, let me go to Paul, who's on the line from New Jersey. Paul, welcome. You're Come on wonderful, handsome. Hello, on, Paul. Paul.
8: Paul. <laughs>
7: Alright. Oh, no, it Hey, great thank you. Love your show. Hi Rhonda and, and John. Thanks for taking my hey, call. Thank you. Hi there Paul. Uh, I I've have, have some notes here. President Buchanan was uh right before Lincoln was a a, a vowed bachelor, a bachelor and he had oh. his,
0: his, his niece his niece took care of uh uh him and stuff like that. But you know what? The but he was they were calling him gay like in the 1850s You're while right, he was yeah. president. They used to call him Aunt Fancy. In the in the papers, yeah. his nickname was Aunt Fancy. In print, he was the president, and, that's and they called when, him Aunt Fancy. That's what? Just back, well, that's, that's just back when gay men
4: happy, too. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and back, yeah, back then, yeah. And back then, they could write
7: scathingly things and and uh, and not get in trouble for it.
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, it's but, true. And he was yeah, also I, one of our worst presidents uh, as well. That bachelor.
7: Uh, well, he, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can debate that too. Well, I mean, uh, historians
0: uh, yeah. consider him one of the worst, but go ahead.
7: Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if it's, 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 it's the South knew they were going to lose 55B with a billion dollars in four years in their, their money, they would have thought differently about it, but they didn't because they got a little uppity on their thoughts.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put
7: it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, speaking of you guys who white privilege, I'm from a small little town called Elmer, New Jersey, we don't have any we didn't have any black people in it, uh, and we went to a school twenty miles away that had black folks in it and mm-hmm. it was great it was cosmopolitan and everything and i just I, I it it was great for me but here's here's the rub. some of Come. my friends who have had uh what they call anti white guys that have had uh, oh, anti discrimination or whatever you know it's they they have been picked over for um, the level playing field. Right. And, okay. and they great friends of mine, and I try to bring them over, but I've never had that happen because, I, in a sense, for my merits or whatever I had, but these guys, that's sort of a thing
0: that, that's actually happened to them, so they do have some footing there. and Well, footing, if, but only footing if they've decided... That the black people that beat them out for a promotion were less qualified than them. Maybe, just maybe, the black men who beat him out for a promotion were more qualified or equally qualified than him.
8: I, uh, John, this never comes into the equation, you know. And, and and to say that they were they were picked over, I don't, I find it so amazing that people never think that these people were qualified. It was like affirmative action was to promote people who had no abilities whatsoever. Thank you, but that's
0: the lie, right? Affirmative action. The lie has always been that affirmative action is about promoting unqualified people over qualified Caucasians. That's the lie. No business is going to do that. No business is going to hire an unqualified person because of their skin color. No one's that's not even progressive. That's just ridiculous. So this is how it always gets spun. I'm sorry, Paul. I'll give it back to you.
7: No, no, no. You're right. You're right about. But but what we're up against is. When my friend, who he felt like not that he was picked over or, or that he was somebody wasn't less qualified, but for some reason it happened to him in a couple occasions that somebody of color, a uh, black person, was 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 got the job or got this instead of him. So now he's got his panties bunched up, and it's it's like you got to try to figure that out. It hasn't happened to me because it hasn't happened to me. I, I worked for uh, for Xerox for. Twenty-eight years. I got hired, and the same day I did, uh, a black guy was there. So Xerox was pretty much colorblind, which is great. Back in yeah. the, this is early set, early eighties, they were great. Listen, but man, you can't be mine- against
0: you. You can't be against affirmative action and against the U.S. military because the U.S. military has been one of the greatest heroes of affirmative action for years now. Go ahead.
7: Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is convincing those folks that it's not somebody less than you is getting a job it's right. just trying to try make the sort of the playing field even, but i I, I understand where they're coming from because
9: the, it's well, never the, happened the, to me because
8: the, the playing field will never be level it will never be even and no, it 's unfortunate no. that his you know his feelings get hurt, but you have to understand that the, after, generation after generation after generation <laughs> going through something where their uh, application is automatically thrown into the the trash can where their interview yeah. has been a sham you know where sure. they where they were not wanted and it was made clear to them they weren't wanted uh not for some justice reason but before just straight up racism
7: right Right. Sure. Yeah. I, you know. And I, I, real quickly, so I'll tell you. Reverse thing of this is another friend I had worked at Xerox. Um, what what they did? Big companies when they squeeze, they call it right sizing, but it's wrong sizing if you get if you if you're the one that's going to lose your job uh, because of corporate welfare. So right. they pick uh, ten people they're going to get rid of. So they they got nine white guys and they're going to downsize. So they're going to get they're going to get uh, you know severance out. Wait a minute. We need a. Um, we need a minority. So so my friend, uh, my co-worker, so he got downsized because they needed, so he got hired, so to speak, for saying, hey, we're going to hire you because we need minorities, which they're a great company to work for. And then, he, oh, hold on a second, we've got nine. We can't get rid of nine white guys. We got to get a. We have to get a minority in there and for him to go so that we, they can't sit, come back and say, oh, well, this isn't fair or something like that. And it's, hmm. isn't that something? He got hired because of that. And then he got he got laid off because of that.
0: Yeah. corporate yeah, I
8: mean, logic. That's, that's corporate it.
0: logic for you, Paul. Thank you so much for the call. I want to get to a couple of other calls before our break. Uh, Mitch in Kent State, you're on with Rhonda. Hello,
8: Mitch.
2: Oh, Rhonda, <laughs> so good to hear you, John. Thank you. Uh, Hi, John. Um, I do you know a sports program, but uh, Jim Brown's passing over. The Jim Brown's
0: weekend. passing. We didn't get to talk about it. Go ahead.
2: Right. I, I you know I almost had to meet him actually. I was at a Browns game back in '88. And walking out of the one exit there, uh, he was, you know, talking to some kids there, and here with him was uh, Colin Powell. The two were together there, and uh, he just left. And Colin Powell was there. I actually got Colin Powell's autograph, but it was oh. that's beside the point. As far as Jim Brown though, I mean, he very complex. I mean, you know, a man who, you know. Civil rights. I mean, one of the uh, you know uh, outspoken people for civil rights and his American project he had here in Cleveland, you know, to uh, to help the, uh, the the you know the, the kids here. Uh, you know, but it was so complex because here was a man who was you know uh, with Obama and yet you know with Trump at the same time. I mean, I think he was an entrepreneur and he was a capitalist. You know, and right. I think what he saw with Trump was that maybe a way to get uh, you know, some of that uh, action from Trump as far as, uh,
0: Yes, uh, like every, like everybody whose star was fading and decided to go on that fucking reality show, uh, you know, and that's fine, but uh, there's plenty to celebrate Jim Brown for. We don't need to make excuses. It was shitty of him to support Donald Trump. It was shitty of a lot of African-American athletes who haven't had a hit in a while, like Daryl Strawberry. You know, it's like, okay, well, he's hot, so you get to go to parties if you go there, but there's a bit more at stake than you hanging on to a fellow celebrity.
2: Right. I don't know. I'm not sure he was really all in on it. I think it was more, again, he was a capitalist. I think a lot of it, he saw maybe a chance to get... uh, a he, was or, uh, he was thirsty.
0: He was thirsty for more fame. Right. That's okay. Well, he acted in a lot. No, of, he he was, was a good actor too.
8: For, for more fame or not, Mitch? I hear what you're saying, and a lot of black people want to get onto the capitalist train. And if Trump was offering them a leg up on that that train car, they were gonna go for it. I yeah. mean, uh, I you know, I, I mean, Ice Cube would talk to anybody who was actually going to listen. Listen to points about empowering black people. You know, it's actually not about a uh, Republican or Democrat. It's who's going to put the hand out right. And, right. And, and have, you know, and, and have the lever uh, in, in our favor for for once. That's
2: right,
8: it. Right. It's a very complex, but, uh, you know, it's a lot to back. And forth. John, one
2: other thing. Larry Summers. There's an uh, article here.
0: Larry Who?
2: I'm no economist. And I Larry
0: Summers? Checkbook. Larry <laughs> Summers? Larry oh, Summers? Yes. That, yes. That, 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 Chris's best friend. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> when we when had the, before the House was sworn in and we, we had the lame duck session going why weren't we doing the, the debt ceiling then? Before, you know, the Republicans moved in. I, I always, what, is, is it, was that too early to work on it then?
0: No, it's because, I mean, look, they should have, could have, would have. We've been hearing it all day. That's what Bernie wanted. That's what all the progressives wanted, but they were dealing with mansion and cinema. It wasn't as easy as everyone's now saying it would have been. It would have been great if they had. I don't know if they could have.
7: Okay. I just,
2: you know, why fight the fight when you had, you know, you're, when you had the numbers then?
0: Larry but Larry but again, Trump it's like, Trump. it's like saying Barack Obama had a 60 vote majority. He didn't really, maybe for a couple of days he did. But, you know, the Democrats didn't really have the majority they had. They had Mansion and Cinema making sure it wasn't. Mitch, you're a gentleman. I thank you very much for the call. We got to go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fuglesang. Keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace.